invite you as we begin to join me in a word of prayer. God of grace, as we come into this room from different places, different kinds of experiences and different phases of life and different, maybe just very different weeks that we've had or weekends that have begun. Whether we come with great joy for experiences and events in life, great thankfulness because you've answered prayer, or whether we come with, with great doubt, maybe wondering if you can ever be real for us, or maybe you seemed real at one time and we wonder, we're in new circumstances now, we're We've gone through new phases of life and it's different now. And we wonder, will you ever seem that close to us as you once did? Or is it slipping away forever? Was it maybe, was it maybe just um, not real? Maybe were, were you not real? We find ourselves in all kinds of places, often surrounded by doubt, and you draw us together. Help us to know as we sit here that that's true, that you have drawn us to this place and you have something that you are doing in our life, and maybe it reflects a lot like what you do in the story of these pages of Scripture, that you move towards us in our lives, in our real world, because of your grace, not because of anything we've done, but because in our mess and in our brokenness that we don't want to admit, you move towards us with love. Move towards us now, we pray, in a way that changes our lives through your Holy Spirit. Amen. What is going on when somebody um, is filled with the Holy Spirit? Stop and you think about how strange that sounds. Uh, anybody ever done a cleanse? You know, cleanse like you, how does that work? You, you, you try to get rid of the toxins in your body and maybe not eat very much, almost like fasting, but you put you drink things like maple syrup and I don't know, th- these cleanses that people do, I haven't done one yet. I want to do a, a sausage cleanse, I think is what I want. <laughs> I like meat. Um, not a good idea. Uh, what, is, is the Holy Spirit, is it like the opposite of doing a cleanse? You know, instead of physical emptying, it's some kind of spiritual filling. I can imagine someone uh, hearing about maybe being invited to a church... And the friend saying, oh yeah, you, you come to church with me. My church really believes strongly in everyone being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the person, once hearing that, kind of going, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to come along. I'm, <laughs> I don't know what that means for me when I visit. Is are, Maybe if that's what they believe, are they going to be really trying to get this to happen to me? And I don't really know that I want that. What is it? If I get filled with the Holy Spirit, am I going to sun- suddenly be almost possessed by something other than what I am and is it going to be scary am I going to be turned into something am I going to suddenly uh, no longer have difficulty uh, like stopping my swearing is is that going to stop all of a sudden no longer swear all of a sudden boom the Holy Spirit Um, am I going to suddenly slip into um, or have this ability to slip into sort of uh, you know a pious breathy voice when I talk about Jesus Um, (laughs) Am I going to, um, you know, the, the smile that I have that I can put on and sort of a fake smile, is that going to start to look more genuine all the time? Am I going to vote differently suddenly? You know, the way Christians vote, right? Um, what does it mean? What, it, what, is it, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And we all, I think we want to know when we read a passage like this. 
And I think we all, we all perceive that something's going on here in terms of God connecting with your life. And God's, God's reality, God's being intersecting with your being and your reality in some kind of way. What's that going to look like? I think it's important to remember as we, we look at what this story says that, um, when you read the Bible, when you look at stories in the Bible, narratives, that description is not the same as prescription. A story that describes something is not necessarily, in the Bible, prescribing the same thing for you. Very, very important thing to remember because it, it keeps you from being on a wild goose chase for the secret code in here to make the exact same thing happen to you. Um, but what is going on? Well, let's look at it. Because at Pentecost, we're going we're gonna to look at two things that happened this morning. And the first is that a city became filled with Jesus' name. At Pentecost, a city became filled with Jesus' name. And secondly, individuals became filled with obedience. A city with Jesus' name, individuals filled with obedience. Individuals, or sorry, city filled with Jesus' name. So this, this amazing event happens. It's very strange in its description. And Peter stands up to speak. Peter, this follower of Jesus, who is amidst the twelve with the, the you know, the fire on the, on it, above their heads, as the story goes. And he begins speaking, and what he does is he points immediately to a passage of Old Testament scripture, Jewish scripture, it's very likely, very possible that Jesus even had already referenced this passage in the time between the resurrection and the ascension when Jesus was doing a lot of teaching about what's coming up next. Uh, very possible that either Peter just pulled this out of his own memory or he got it from Jesus himself to reference and to say, let me explain to you what is going on. It's a good place to start. If somebody in a biblical story says, I'm going to explain to you why this just happened, it's a good thing for us to also look at and go, okay, what does he say? What is he trying to get at here? And you look at Joel chapter 2 that he's, that he's using, and you see these interesting images. Wonders and signs. Wonders and signs. Um, there's going to be blood. There's going to be darkness. There's going to be fire. Signs and wonders. Blood, darkness, Fire. It's all in there. And then it kind of rounds out with verse 21 where he, where he quotes again Joel. And it says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a whole bunch of people going to find salvation, going to be saved in some kind of way as these signs and wonders and blood and darkness and fire are involved. Well, it doesn't take a, um, it doesn't take a total genius in the Jewish scriptures to see some connections and to see that he's pointing to, really, if you look closely, the biggest event of salvation for his people, the Jewish people. Because you look back at the story of the Exodus, and you kind of go back and you look at that in Exodus chapter um, 11, or 9, 10, 11. What you see are you see these same images. You see Moses going before Pharaoh with his brother Aaron, and there's these signs, these miracles, these signs and these wonders. So you got those. In fact, if you want a window into the God of the Bible and how he views these signs and wonders, you go to Exodus 11, verse 9. It's the same God from the book of Acts, and we get to hear him speaking about signs and wonders. What, what do we learn? He says, or It says in verse 9, The Lord said to Moses, 
Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. God's, God has on his, on his mind, as it were, that the signs and wonders would, that, are be, that, that reflect his abilities and his glory somehow will be multiplied through real events in the world. Okay, so as you look at Exodus, you see signs and wonders that God wants to be multiplied. You see blood, if you know the story, blood of a lamb spread on a doorpost. And that will save the people in the household where that blood is. It covers them. It saves them. And you move on. You see darkness. The ninth plague in Exodus, Egypt goes dark for three whole days. And it's, it's light still in the uh, Israelites' part of Egypt. But it's totally dark. And then there's fire as well. So there's signs and wonders, there's blood, there's darkness, and then there's this pillar of fire that leads the Israelites uh, through darkness into being saved, being freed and, and saved. And then you can throw in there the fact that there's this mighty east wind that comes in and blows up the waters and frees them from their enemies so they're not trapped when they get to the Red Sea. All these things, signs, wonders, blood, darkness, fire, and even wind. So Peter is saying, look, look at this, look at the big moment of God showing up in real history, in our world, when a whole bunch of people found that they ended up trusting God and following God through the darkness and into the desert. There's a new one. There's a new event. There's a new sequence of events now. And in fact, it is the new God movement in our world. And how does he summarize it? But if you notice, his, the last few verses that were read up here, he talks about Jesus. He talks about the name of Jesus. talks about the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Which, if you think about it, so what was going on with Jesus? Jesus came and if he did nothing else, he was definitely doing signs and wonders and healing and bringing all these amazing things all kinds of signs and wonders. You just read through the Gospels and you'll see signs and wonders, miracles left and right. That's what Jesus did. And there's blood with the story of Jesus and Peter points to it that he was nailed to the cross. So as Christians began to say right away that Jesus' blood now is that sacrifice. He's the new lamb that covers people. And when he was shedding that blood, it went dark for three hours. Not three days, but three hours now. There was darkness. And then we kind of see the full, full picture of these events of Jesus come together at Pentecost when now there's fire again. There's fire. And it separates and goes on the apostle's head, but there's fire. And there's a wind again, and it blows in and fills the whole room where they are. Peter's saying, you want to know what, you want to know what's happening? You want to know what this Pentecost is all about? There's a bunch of people that are somehow being saved and God's wonders are being multiplied. And there's a whole bunch of people now in this city that are going to be paying attention to the fact that people's lives are being transformed by the power of God. People trusting this God, this very powerful God, they're now seeing how powerful he is and they're trusting him into the darkness of life. And what that looked like was they were believing, repenting, and being baptized by the end of Peter's, um, kind of the first sermon after Pentecost. In a sense, you, you just look at it this way. In today's terms, the gospel went viral. 
It just, I mean, suddenly here you have this picture of God showing up so powerfully that a whole city took notice. I mean, Peter stands up and preaches. 3,000 people are, are saved um, and get baptized. And then we read later on that the whole city was filled. Um, in chapter 5, verse 27, no, verse 28, these religious leaders are confronting now the apostles for all their preaching, and they say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. So I don't know how much time went on between what I just read and Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, but how somehow in that period of time, it was an accurate description to say this whole city was filled with the teaching of Jesus. And I want you to think about when you think about Pentecost today, when you think about this story, God's view of a city, God looking at a city, a city like Sacramento, and seeing a city that needs a movement of the Spirit for people to be in some ways saved. There's a lot of things to be saved from. There's a lot of people who would say they need something that looks like being saved. There's people throughout the city, there's people you know who, who are stuck in a deep, debilitating depression. There's people whose lives, they might even describe it this way, it might have gotten so bad, and you might know them, that, that their life is, is really, really in a dark place right now. They're in a dark place, and it may have something to do with the darkness of, of um, preoccupation with their appearance. Maybe it may have to do with a casual view of sex, it may have to do with, with money. It may have to do with drugs. And you know people whose lives are dark. Think about our city and think about the sheer volume of people who are facing on a daily basis um, and are experiencing abuse. Just the sheer volume of abuse that's happening in the size of a city like Sacramento. Um, children who are abused. And women who are abused in relationship. And children who are watching and getting extremely unfortunate models for how uh, relationships work and even very poor examples of what their worth is. It's almost, once I've had children, I almost have to not go there for too long when, I, when you think about just how much need there is for love. Picture God looking down on all of this and looking on the people you know who are just trapped in patterns of bitterness and just can't let go and life just keeps getting harder. People who are trapped and hope is getting snuffed out because of sickness or disease. That's, our, that's an accurate picture of a lot of what's happening in our city and you know people who fit somewhere in all of that. Now imagine this. That with all of that going on, imagine you begin to you begin to experience maybe in a place like city life or in a small group in city life, in a Christian community of some sort where Jesus is being talked about. You begin to hear people talk about those kind of experiences, but they're on the other side of it, and they're talking about things like healing and forgiveness. And like those things that had a foothold and just couldn't get expelled from their life, are now destroyed and sent off and have disappeared. And imagine you hear that enough that you begin to imagine something bigger is happening. And the thread between those stories of people talking about these kinds of experiences are is the, is, is the name Jesus. 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 
a healer, a forgiver. And then imagine, if it's going to be anything like what we see in the book of Acts, imagine that it's not only you noticing, it's such a movement, it's such an amount of God activity that you have friends who you know that they've been antagonistic towards the Christian faith. Probably you're never even able to bring up the fact that, that you're connected in any way or exploring it. And they, I mean, it's so clear that they're paying attention. They're asking questions. People you never would have expected. A city filled with Jesus' name. That's what, that's the point of Pentecost. This, the Holy Spirit filling, filling a city even, to the point that a whole city is paying attention to the fact that in Jesus, people, are, all people, can experience life, real life transformation. The whole city is filled with that. That's a picture of Acts chapter 2. Now there's also a part of it where individuals are filled with obedience. That's a whole other side of it. And if you think about, let's start with this. What are all the things your life can be filled with? In Acts chapter 5, kind of going back to that interaction where the religious leaders were frustrated with Peter and the apostles, it describes the religious leaders as being filled, the Jewish religious leaders. It says, Then the high priest and all his associates, in verse 17 of chapter 5, who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. That's right in the same little vignette of the cities filled with the name of Jesus. And if you look at Romans chapter 1, which is kind of spreads this whole big canvas of what happened in Jesus and why it had to happen, it starts with kind of our natural human condition and talks about in chapter 1 verse 29 of Romans that we have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They, or kind of the, the human race, uh, without God, are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. It goes on and on. Um, there's a lot of ways, a lot of things we can be filled with. There's a lot of things that you are filled with. There's a lot of things that fill um, your life and are, are lodged in your life that maybe you even wish could be expelled and gotten rid of. There's debilitating fear and guilt that motivates a lot of your life. There's um, lust that lodges itself in your life and you can't dislodge it. There's, there's loneliness, there's anger. There's a lot of things. Even you can be filled with yourself. Preoccupation with yourself and your inadequacies or preoccupation with yourself and how great you think you are. <laughs> there's all kinds of ways that even yourself can be spilling out of your speech. And you maybe catch yourself sometimes, Why I just allowed that whole conversation to be about me. Wow, what is going on? There's different ways to be filled. And you know how these all these things that we fill ourselves with, you know how they work? They work like a highly addictive drug. That, you know, you, you maybe aren't super dependent on them early on, but they, they start to be there and they start to kind of tickle something inside of you that's, that, that feels good and feels maybe filling at first. But as you depend more and more on things, these things, this dynamic happens that it takes more of it to actually fill filling, but it doesn't fill because there's now less and less time in between um, shooting up, you know, with whatever your thing that fills you is, your spiritual version of heroin. What What is it? What are you full of? What can't get dislodged, it seems like, in your life? 
Um, it's good to just think about it that way and to think about your own self. What do you need? What are you filled with and what do you wish you were filled with? And what does Pentecost offer to fill you with? There's a, there's this writer named Michael Green. He's a, he's a theologian and Bible commentator. So he says, he basically paints this picture of what was the effect of Pentecost. In other words, what were people full of? What can you not deny as you look at the story of the book of Acts? What was there? Because we, we want to know and we want to know what to expect and often our minds go to the more extreme glamorous things like the, the fire and the tongues and what, what was there? And he says basically this, this, wherever the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit was, this is what was present. First, it was obvious that they were thrilled to belong. There was a joy of belonging. Secondly, they were keen to pray. It was a strong pull towards prayer. Then they were, they were also bold to speak, hungry to learn. They were willing to give generously. And there was a longing to share their hospitality. This is what we read as you read on the story of what the church became after this Pentecost day. And he summarizes this way. These qualities of joy, boldness, prayer, generosity, and a hunger to learn are universal indicators of the presence of the Spirit. Now, are you, are you full of those things? The, um, basically what's happening with all of that is God is encountering, God is entering in to your life and that's what life looks like with more of God in you. Those attributes that I just listed. And, um, and it's summarized again going to Acts chapter 5 very simply. Acts chapter 5, verse 32, is where Peter and the apostles say, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Kind of put all those descriptors of Holy Spirit activity under the heading of of obedience, of an eagerness to obey God. I don't know what you expect or hope for, if, or even if you do expect or hope for anything to happen with regard to the Holy Spirit in your life. But it is this promise of Jesus that the Holy Spirit will be in the church, will be in your life. Won't go, he won't go away. It's a promise. In the Old Testament, when you read, the Holy Spirit comes and goes. It's occasional. It can be withdrawn. Not so now with the Christian church after Jesus. Um, and... You know, we can be obsessed with some of the more glamorous things of the Holy Spirit. We can become obsessed with different things that the Spirit's supposed to look like. But if you look at the book of Acts, what were they doing? They were waiting. They were staying in Jerusalem and waiting. Guess what? That's exactly what Jesus told them to do. They were just simply obeying. (laughs) That's all. They, They didn't have the magic formula. They didn't know how to ask for the Spirit. They weren't even thinking about the Holy Spirit. They, as far as we know, there's, there's nothing that we're given here about what they did. They accept that Jesus said, go to the city and wait until I send the Holy Spirit. So just, they were obeying. They're just waiting. Is there any sense in your life that you, you long for really to be filled in some kind of other way than how you've 
than filled. You, you feel like life should be more full, and more full of life in the good life. If you sense that at all, then what this whole story, this amazing story of Pentecost basically says is, have you spent some time just looking to Jesus? Just look at Jesus and what does he say? What is he saying to do? And perhaps if anything, what were those apostles doing? But they were emptying themselves of their own agendas and their own things and their own, you know, their bitterness, their anger. Maybe they even had their own private soapboxes that friends of theirs knew they always kind of got up on and it was always about this issue for them. What if you emptied yourself of, like in preparation to be filled, you emptied yourself of your 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 repetitive soapbox issues and you emptied yourself of your pride and your anger and your um, anxiety and you just waited. Um, I find it interesting that if I had to look back at my life and say, when did I feel most filled by the Holy Spirit? I would say that it was in around 2008. It was within the first year of starting City Life Church. And I was full of anxiety about being enough, being good enough, measuring up, being adequate. And in the middle of great fear that maybe this church, I wasn't going to be adequate enough to be a person who starts a church. In the midst of all that fear, um, God helped me see what was going on and brought me to kind of a bottom point of realizing that I, was, I, did, I wasn't adequate and I didn't have to be adequate. And then I began to see that it was okay to be empty as I approached God. And that the real, for me, the language was the real church planter is God. And then it's amazing. Once I was empty, then even my messages, I, I really believe that the things I used to say in that first year of starting City Life are very different than what I began to say. And I, begin, I, I feel like they connected a lot better and they were much more full of the Spirit and full of God's grace. Have you approached God empty-handed with your emptiness? Have you even th- saw that as a legitimate way to approach God? And then just know this too, that, um, and this has been my experience. Let's see if I can find the, uh, the reference here. This is Michael Green again. He writes this, uh, this book called The First 30 Years, or The 30 Years That Changed the World. This is about the beginning of the church. And part of this quote is actually in your worship guide, but I'm going to put a few things together here. He says these various things about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I have been filled hundreds of times, he says, and hundreds of times I have run dry. This is not a once and for all experience, but a constant offer from a gracious, renewing God. He goes on, he says, however we have been filled or however often we have been filled, we soon need filling again. We evaporate, we leak, we need refilling. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a state we can claim as a permanent possession. It is a standing call to us to come again and again to the source and be filled afresh. Let's do that now. I'm going to close with prayer and also our prayers during our time of communion in a few moments are all going to be geared towards us individually and corporately being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly God, um, you bring your presence of heaven to earth and you didn't just ascend and leave us, you, you sent your Holy Spirit. And, um, and we, we are empty, so see our emptiness. See our need for you and help us. Help us by filling us, help us by teaching us to empty ourselves by convincing us and to overcome our fears and to come to you with all of our mess and all of our emptiness.